0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Android Bytes podcast powered by Asper. I'm David Rudick, and every week I'm joined by my co-host, Michal Rahman, to explore the wide world of Android and a lot of topics in the Android universe you probably wouldn't ordinarily see discussed. This week, we've got a very special guest, and with that, I'll let Michal introduce him.
1: Thanks, David. So this week, I'd like to talk about Graphene OS. So if you are at all security or privacy-minded, You may have heard of this project before. It's been brought up by some very influential members of the InfoSec community as one of the preferred alternative Android-based operating systems for devices that you can install that people consider more secure and more private than AOSP. And joining us today, we have one of the developers who works on the project full time, Gabe from Graphene OS. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you for inviting me onto the show. I'm excited to talk to you
2: today about Graphinos.
1: Yeah, definitely. Before we actually dive into those details, I really wanted to clarify one thing with you. So you probably are very familiar with the term custom ROM. It's a term that the vast majority of people use to refer to Android-based operating systems that aren't offered by Google or OEMs. There are projects like Lineage OS, which is one of the most popular ones that's referred to as a custom ROM. There are many other projects that are referred to as custom ROMs, but I wanted to know what do you think of this term? Is Graphene OS something we should call a custom ROM or is there a better term we should be using?
2: I personally don't really consider it to make much sense. My rationale for that being that operating system isn't installed to a ROM chip anymore. And mobile phones, maybe with the exception of some older feature phones, don't really use a ROM for their operating system. And the only real ROM that's present on a modern smartphone is going to be the boot ROM, which is highly minimal and just kickstarts the boot chain. And I would describe Graphene OS and any other derivative of AOSP as operating systems, because that is what they are.
1: Yeah. And also in my view, custom ROM has a connotation of being like a hobbyist project that you would download off the XDA forums just to try out some new features or tweak the user interface or maybe extend the longevity of your old device. It has that hobbyist indie developer connotation associated with it, in my opinion, at least. And it feels like Graphene OS is different than that. It, it feels like it's more aimed at professionals and people in the InfoSec community or people who care about security in general. I think, yes, operating system would be a better term for any Android based operating system, but. Graphene OS in particular would be a great project to use that term for. I mentioned just now that Graphene OS feels a bit different than other Android-based derivatives. It's aimed at people who care about privacy and security. It advertises that it's more private and secure than AOSP. So many people who aren't familiar with Graphene OS may be wondering, what are some of the privacy features it offers that aren't available in AOSP? And what are some of the changes that you guys made to make your derivative more secure than AOSP?
2: So Graphenomous is intended as a security and privacy research project, which focuses on incremental and systemic improvements, rather than just picking apart minor issues and low hanging fruit. Although obviously that is anything that would be present in a project. Our goal is focusing on systemic improvements rather than individual issues. One of the things that we have is a hardened libc and a hardened memory allocator, which we know as hardened malloc. And that helps deal with a specific type of class of vulnerability, which is referred to as memory corruption. And memory corruption makes up, I would say the overall majority of high and critical vulnerabilities present within the AOSP and Chromium we have found and fixed issues in the wild. And it also will actively prevent vulnerabilities that would otherwise affect AOSP normally. If you want an example of that, we actually found a real world issue. And that's currently being tracked as, if anyone wants to look up the CVE number, CVE 2021 0703, and that was a use after free vulnerability found by hardened malloc. Obviously, in addition to that, Grapheno ships of no tracking whatsoever built into the operating system. And we also have the auditor and attestation server projects. And those help to verify that your installation of GrapheneOS is the real genuine GrapheneOS project. And that works by using hardware attestation, which is backed by the secure element, and that verifies the authenticity and integrity of all the code on the device. We also add the network and consensus permissions so that they are user facing. Say you install, I don't know, PDF viewing app, for example. The user can revoke the networking permission or the sensors permission, just as if they were to revoke the contacts or messaging permissions. Additionally, we close off any access to say device identifiers that Android hasn't already done. For example, legacy apps on AOSP can currently access the serial number, but we close that off so it can't be used for tracking. We also build upon AOSP security features. For example, Android 12 brought into production the camera and microphone indicators. And we enable the location indicators, which aren't actually enabled on production Android 12 operating systems currently. Similarly, we also enabled them before they were actually enabled in production on Android 12. And I believe they've been a feature since Android 9, if I recall properly. And that's just a very brief summary of just the incremental systemic privacy and security improvements that we do at Graphene And we have a full features list on our website. Thank you for the high-level rundown of many
1: of the security and privacy benefits that Graphene OS offers on top of AOSP. One thing I wanted to ask you to follow up on these extensions that you guys offer over AOSP is, why do you think AOSP doesn't offer hardened malloc by default? And what are the downsides of enabling it the way Graphene
2: OS does it? Are there any performance downsides to enabling it? AOSP currently is using the SCUDO allocator instead of hardened malloc. Now, we're completely open to AOSP using hardened malloc. If they were to adopt it, it's permissively licensed and is inherently compatible with the licensing at AOSP. Hardened malloc compared to SCUDO will use more memory and that's due to the mitigations, which it deploys. And also it can potentially lead to issues in applications, which do have memory corruption which simply isn't being exposed by traditional memory allocators. And honestly, that decision really lies with them. Bionic is inherently designed so that you can essentially swap in memory allocators as I would probably crudely word. Hard malloc compared to Scudo when it comes to performance and device resource usage, performance should not really be affected much from a user's perspective, but it will involve an increased Memory usage, that's due to the mitigations, which Hardened Malloc deploys. And obviously Google could potentially disable some of the mitigations within Hardware Malloc if they wish to deploy it. And that would still be an improvement. But obviously it remains to be seen as it is ultimately a Google choice and we can't really shape that. So just taking a step
1: back and trying to summarize, I think you'll find is that because Google is such a massive corporation that develops all of Android which is used by billions of devices and they're responsible to thousands of companies and tens of thousands of developers out there, any change that they have to make, even any performance impacting change that affects things on the millisecond scale is something that they have to be aware of. And because such changes are scrutinized so heavily and they have to be benchmarked and they have to be observed for changes, will this negatively impact 1% of our devices? And if so, how badly will it impact them? These kind of considerations, you know, hardening decisions, more difficult for Google to do, whereas with a project like Graphene, it's possible to take more experimental approaches that may impact performance a bit negatively, but would theoretically and practically improve the security overall. So just to give one example of this consideration that I'm aware of personally, the application spawning process used by Android, which is called Zygote. I believe Graphene OS disables that traditional spawning model. And what happens normally is that Android creates a, if you go back to like high school biology, creates a zygote. And then from there, application processes are split off from that zygote. And the benefit of having that zygote process is that it's able to start up some of the libraries and some of the tools and et cetera that are needed by applications when they're being spawned. This is not as secure as spawning every application freshly. But the benefit of using Android traditional spot process is that it speeds up app launch times. By disabling it, you get better security, but you also get slower app launch times. So that's an example of the trade-off, the kind of trade-off that Graphene OS makes to trade security, security above all else. Security is the most important aspect when it comes to designing and building features for Graphene OS. Would you say that's an accurate depiction of the design philosophy,
2: Gabe? I would say that usability is something that we very heavily consider, which is why we've built things like the sandbox, legal play services, and we're currently working on extensively documenting its usage and we're making it even easier for users to use it. And with regards to exec spawning, it is generally on newer hardware, very imperceptible. I would say probably one device generation down the line or Honestly, even on modern devices like the Pixel 5 and the Pixel 6, it's barely noticeable whatsoever to the average user. On legacy devices like the third generation Pixels, especially the 3A and 3A XL, which use eMMC, it did lead to exec spawning having a much higher impact compared to newer generation devices. And I think over time, as devices get moved to more powerful hardware, it'll completely prevent being an issue completely.
0: Yeah, and I I think that if you want to go even wider, you can say that this is just computing at work. It's Moore's law. We're getting more powerful hardware sequentially over the years here. And as that hardware becomes more capable of executing within the thermal or wattage envelope of your smartphone, you're able to do a lot more things. So I think a good example of that, if we're going to talk about EMMC and storage speed, would be Android's move to full disk encryption, which was painful and took a number of years. I forget when it was introduced as mandatory. Was that NuGet, maybe, when FDE became required? I I don't specifically recall. But Google's reasoning was, well, we're going to impact performance so badly, and I think everybody can intuitively understand why disk encryption can impact performance. We saw that fight for a long time. I think some phones allowed you to turn on encryption as an option when they received an OS upgrade and it absolutely destroyed performance. So yeah, it's something that Google probably has to weigh pretty frequently given the diversity of devices in the ecosystem.
1: So just to follow up on the encryption aspect, I believe your full disk encryption was introduced in 5.0 and then was eventually replaced with file-based encryption. If you just Google those two terms, you'll find the documentation by Google on what they are. I don't think they're really necessary for us to dive into right now. So I just wanted to ask next, you mentioned a lot of different aspects, Gabe, that elevate Graphene OS as a privacy and security oriented operating system over AOSP. So if I were listening to this podcast and I wanted to go and install Graphene OS onto my own device. And I visited grapheneos.org and visited the releases section. I would notice that the operating system is only available for Google Pixel devices.
2: Can you tell me why is that? The unfortunate reality is, and I'm going to be pretty blunt about this, the vast majority of OEMs, they're pretty terrible. The great thing about Pixel devices is that they are essentially the de facto reference devices for Android and they have full support within AOSP. And they have probably the best hardware security you can get on an Android device. They rival that of an iPhone when it comes to security. Things like having a proper IOMMU and having a proper secure element. So the Pixels, they have the Titan M on the new generation uh, GS101-based Pixels, the Titan M2. So that's the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro. And um, those secure elements then support the Weaver API, which massively improves disk encryption. Just things like this, most other OEMs don't implement. And most critically, most OEMs do not implement support for alternative operating systems. Google Pixel devices, they allow you to unlock the bootloader without any trouble from the OEM. You don't need to ask for an unlock code like some OEMs do. You don't need any special fancy software. It's just use fast boot and you can unlock the bootloader. And it also allows you to define a user-defined route of trust. So what that means is, is you can preserve the verified boot threat model and actually use verified boot and lock the bootloader with your own operating system, with your own keys on a Pixel device. And generally, Pixels have been the only devices to properly implement support for that. There's a few manufacturers out there, which I won't name, but while they do have support, they don't implement it properly. And there are serious security issues with their alternative operating system support. So just for a bit
1: of background for those of you who aren't familiar, the bootloader is a special piece of software that basically loads up all of the other components that are necessary to load up the operating system, including the kernel and everything else. So it's literally loading up everything needed to boot the device. And when we say you unlock the bootloader, basically that allows the user to install images that were not originally signed by the manufacturer. And if you were to lock the bootloader, then those images would have to be recognized by the verified boot system on Android. And most devices do not allow you to insert your own verified boot keys into that process. So that if you were to lock the bootloader, your phone would be completely bricked after installing an alternative operating system. And with few exceptions, like the Google Pixel series, you can unlock the bootloader, flash a custom operating system, and then lock the bootloader. That is probably one of the most important things that blocks Graphene OS and other security-minded operating systems from being supported on non-Pixel devices. One thing I noticed, though, is that even if you were to go through this process of unlocking the bootloader, installing Graphene OS, and then flashing a custom verify boot key, and then relocking the bootloader is that the bootloader will still show you a warning message displayed in yellow that tells you that you're running an alternative operating system. If you were the user who went through the process of installing Graphene OS and did all this yourself, you probably dismissed this message as no big deal because you know exactly what you did to your own advice. But if you were to purchase a device with Graphene OS pre-installed, or maybe had a friend or someone else install it onto your device for you and you boot up your device and you see this message, you might be a little concerned. So I wanted to ask you, what would it take to have this message not show? What would it take to have Graphene OS be treated like a first party operating system like the pre-installed firmware on devices? I'm gonna keep
2: it simple. Android has multiple states within which verified boot will operate in. So when you buy a device from the shops, say I bought a brand new Pixel 6 or whatever the latest Samsung is, That device will boot in the green verified boot state, which means that the device is booting an operating system which has been approved and certified. And basically, the OEM said, yeah, we're shipping it with this. We're approving this operating system. It will boot without any warning, no friction whatsoever. Now, say, for example, I were to buy a pixel, unlock the bootloader, and install Graphene OS. Then the device will be booting in the yellow verified boot state. What that means is that the device is using a user-defined route of trust. Your device is using the Graphene OS keys in order to preserve the verified boot threat model, and it's running on a locked bootloader with a custom operating system. So that means quite literally anyone can buy a Pixel, clone down AOSP, and build their own fork of the operating system with all their things that they want in their operating system, flash it to the phone with their own keys, and lock the bootloader. And they will be able to completely maintain the threat model of the android security model and so if say an oem
1: wanted to implement first-party support for graphene os what exactly would they have to do to get the uh, device to boot with the green verified boot state with graphene os
2: so an oem would have to whitelist our keys in order for the phone to boot in the green state within the bootloader an oem essentially has a key pinned within the firmware. And if that key does not match what is in essentially the approved list, the phone will kick and scream and say, all right, is it using a user defined rate of trust or is it not? If it's not, and it's on a locked bootloader, it will give a red screen because something's gone terribly wrong. If it is using a user defined rate of trust of a locked bootloader, then it will say, okay, you're not in the list, but the user has defined you. So that means that it will boot in a yellow verified boot state. With GrapheneOS on potentially our own hardware or a partner manufacturer's hardware, we aim to have it so that our keys will be whitelisted and you'll be able to skip that screen.
0: Quick technical question. Can this list be changed after the fact by flashing a new bootloader to the device, or does that break the trust chain?
2: Only the OEM can build and sign the bootloader. All the firmware of the device is signature enforced. So you can't just swap out the bootloader with your own. You'd have to use a pre-production device to do that. And that's just not going to happen.
0: I guess my example would be in the case of an OEM actually doing this and partnering and wanting to update a phone to support the green status. Would that be possible? That could absolutely be possible.
2: Awesome. I want to
1: focus on the post-installation aspect of Graphene OS. Once you actually have properly installed it and have set it up, you're going to actually be using this as your operating system on your daily driver device, which means you have to have applications. Anyone who has installed an AOSP build probably knows that it's incredibly bare bones and the basic apps that are there are old and incredibly unmaintained by Google. Unless you want basically a dumb phone, you're going to have to install apps from somewhere else. Most OEMs decide to include GMS, which is Google mobile services, as well as a suite of their own applications. But for smaller teams like Graphene OS, it's just not feasible to develop an entire GMS alternative suite of apps. And it's also not technically legally okay to ship GMS alongside these uh, Graphene OS builds, although many, I'd say other operating system projects do so anyways, but I think philosophically, Graphene OS doesn't really like the concept of GMS and has been working on alternatives because it's widely recognized that GMS and Google Play Services and Google Play Store in particular are incredibly important applications for the average user. You know, most users probably won't bother with alternative operating systems that don't have those applications because just so many things are unavailable and so many applications just refuse to work. Gabe actually alluded to this earlier, but Graphene OS has been developing something called the Sandbox Play Services Compatibility Layer. And this, I think, tries to bridge the gap between, okay, we value privacy and security above all else, Google apps are closed source binaries. They collect a whole bunch of data, but we know users want to use them regardless. So I wanted to ask you, Gabe, can you tell us a bit about how Sandbox Play Services compatibility layer works and how does it deliver access to Google apps while preserving Graphene
2: OS's privacy model? Sure. So say, for example, you were to just compile an normal AOSP build or just simply buy a phone, which didn't come with GMS. You don't have Google play store, you don't have Google play services, you don't have Google services framework, et cetera. You won't be able to just install the APKs onto the phone and everything will chain crash because by default, they expect to be in a special SC Linux policy, they expect to be built into the OS, so they are actually privileged apps. And they expect to have all sorts of extra permissions, which aren't user facing and only privileged apps can get. And because of that, that's why they chain crash. On OS, what we've done is instead of running in their own SC Linux domain, they run in the normal untrusted app SC Linux domain, which means they run in the same application sandbox, just as any other APK you are to install on your phone, we don't ship them at all within the operating system. On top of that, we've essentially taught them how to run like this. We do that using shims within the operating system. So say for example, Google play services might try and access a privileged API to get the serial number of the phone. Instead, what we'll do is we'll just say, oh, there's no serial number, but that's okay. You can just use this stub API that we made. And then it will just think, oh, there's no serial number. Guess there's none. And it will just continue on. That's essentially what it does throughout the application. And we've got to a point where the vast majority of functionality offered by Google Play services and the whole GMS stack work almost perfectly on GrapheneOS. We have, for example, the new nulled out advertising identifier. You can enable that within Google Play services. We also have location redirection support. Which means say you install an application that exclusively relies on Google Play APIs for location instead of the Android operating system location APIs, you can redirect those APIs system-wide to go through our compatibility layer and they're redirected to the operating system instead of them essentially being proxied through Google Play services. So that means Google Play services can run without location access. The apps that depend on its location API can still use it through the operating system APIs. And with regards to functionality, I did mention earlier that almost everything works. And recently we've got quite literally almost everything. Things like casting to a Chromecast or apps that don't have their own casting implementation and rely on the play services implementation that works. Things like FIDO and security keys, those work now since there is no AOSP implementation for security keys, for example. And it's one of many things which you can see has been moved into play services in order to either be backported to all Android devices since you can't really backport a feature like that to over a billion devices which are running on multiple different Android versions. So security key support isn't in AOSP, but it's wiring play services for everything. And it's just an example of many features like that, which are highly integrated into play services. Like even if you were to compile Chromium, Chromium's going to use that for security key support. If you want to use safe browsing on Chromium, it relies on Google play APIs for that. And the most common use case, which I'm sure everyone has encountered when they've tried to install a custom operating system on their phone without Google apps is Firebase notifications. So the Firebase backend is essentially where I was to install I don't know, let's say Snapchat, for example, their backend servers would communicate to Firebase, hey, you've got a notification and your phone with Google Play services on it would constantly pull towards Firebase and say, hey, there are any notifications? And then Firebase would say, yeah, you've got a new Snapchat message. And Google Play would then tell that to Snapchat and then Snapchat would pop up saying, hey, you have a notification. But... None of that functionality by default would be on the operating system without Google play services. And generally, at least in the Western world, pretty much everything uses Firebase notifications to deliver notifications for a backend to the client. If you look in China, there's all sorts of different homegrown implementations. I don't remember all of them off by heart, but I know Huawei has one. I think Tencent has one as well. And I'm sure there's numerous others as well, but when it comes to the West, Pretty much everyone uses Google Play services and the Firebase API to get notification, and that of course is fully functional on GraphiOS when you use sandbox Google Play services. Yeah.
1: So I think this is a very fascinating and novel approach to solving the issue of, that I'm sure many companies who are looking at building an Android device have had, do I have to ship Google mobile services with my device? And if the answer is you're selling a smartphone to a consumer, then the answer is probably very likely yes. And. There's really been no way to get around that because if you don't ship GMS, then your users won't have, apps. won't have access to apps on the Google Play Store. Many of their applications will refuse to run or just simply be broken without access to Play Services APIs. And just without access, you lose so much if you don't include GMS. And by accepting GMS into your build, you have to bundle it as a privileged set of applications. You have to grant it so many permissions. You're allowing Google to access so many privileged APIs that aren't available to other applications. They can collect a lot of data. They run in the background persistently. There's just so much control you're giving up to enable GMS on your builds. I think this is a really novel approach that basically allows users to install GMS apps as if they were just regular applications without giving up too much of your privacy in the process. And I think basically any company that's looking at building AOSP and shipping an AOSP device that actually functions acceptably for an average user might want to take a look at this Sandbox Play Services compatibility layer approach, because it is very interesting, in my opinion.
0: I guess that my big question about that to you, Gabe, would be, do you see Google trying to shut some of these doors? Because these are workarounds and Google obviously also has its own kind of trust model for play services that it wants to preserve. So I'd be curious of your view of where this puts them and how you see their response to date.
2: I don't really consider this to be an issue because we made shims for everything. We can always add more shims and I highly doubt it's within their interests to intentionally break anything which we do. So I don't really consider it to be an issue for the long term personally. Right. It is a bit of a cat and mouse game there because Google
1: Play Services and a lot of apps in GMS are a black box to outside developers. We don't have the source code to those applications. We don't know what APIs and features Google are planning or if anything breaks. We can't really anticipate that. But as Gabe mentioned, if anything changes, it's always possible to account for that change. It might just take some time and a bit of development effort, but changes can be made to reintroduce support and compatibility with the latest Play Services updates. One of the last questions I wanted to ask you, Gabe, is recently there's been a lot of talk about software update longevity and who is to blame for the, in my opinion, mediocre support that most Android devices get from their manufacturers. On average, you'll find that most flagship devices get three years of OS updates and three years of security updates. Recently, Samsung has extended that to four years of OS updates and five years of security updates. They're finally starting to approach Apple levels of support. But Apple has always been the gold standard for years. And for years, Android has lagged behind that gold standard. So what do you think of this issue? Do you think this can be solved? Do you think there is a particular entity that we would blame for poor software support length? Or do you think it's more complicated? And
2: how does this affect your work on Graphene OS? When it comes to solving this, I do quite firmly believe that It's a huge culmination of issues whereby SoC vendors and OEMs both have caused it to be a little bit of a headache. I think Google has acknowledged this, and I think since the introduction of initiatives like Treble, Project Mainline, and GKI, so generic kernel images, I'd say possibly in the far future, potentially even nearer future, we'll get to a point where Google would end up maintaining the vast amount of the base operating system that's unified across all Android devices, and they would update it and maintain it. And we'll get to a point where OEMs just simply maintain their device-specific bits and SoC vendors would collaborate with OEMs to make sure that it's get pushed out quickly. So we'll get to a point where Google might do the entire underlying OS and they might do the generic kernel image and they might just update that automatically for everyone. And that would leave OEMs of having to manage firmware updates and kernel module updates and any other parts of the operating system. So say they have a fancy skin or they might have some novel feature, they would maintain that, but Google would maintain the core Android OS. And I think that will most likely be the future we end up going into. But of course, I don't really know what will happen in the future. That's just my personal speculation. I don't think there's a clear solution to it. But I do think the work Google is putting into trying to mitigate things and ultimately solving it is going to be highly beneficial in the long run. I do quite firmly believe that support periods are far too short. And I think that a question that is brought up often is why are we coming together to essentially make e-waste? And the reality is as a project, we can't really do much about it. The truth is that we can only have A device with full security coverage, so long as an OEM is providing support. The Pixel 2, for example, that's been end of life for, whoa, quite a long time now. There is no way you can have a secure Pixel 2 now because the OEM, i.e. Google is not pushing out any security updates for it. So you're on a Pixel 3, you need to move. If you're on a 3A, you need to think about moving later this year. It's not necessarily a great reality. And people do often frequently compare this ecosystem to the desktop side where they're saying, oh, but I can use my desktop for years. I can just install Linux. But I think the awareness of this in mobile security is far more heightened compared to that of desktops where people don't really understand that things like the UEFI firmware, the GPU firmware, the trusted platform module firmware, all of that culminates in the whole security of your system. And the reality is most OEMs neglect that. We are already seeing in the wild exploitation of these things. And I do think in the future, it will be a far bigger issue than it is currently. It's a time bomb waiting to happen. And in that same regard, users should be very well aware that they should really avoid using hardware that doesn't have full OEM support because they're not going to be getting security coverage. And of course, there's not going to be any bug fixes, but that's probably the least of your concerns when anyone can just get into your system. Yeah, I don't think there's a very clear answer on what we can do to tackle that. That's all I really have to say on the matter.
0: And I I think that's a very fair assessment and that's what we hear from everyone. This is becoming our bit every week where we ask about the state of the Android update ecosystem. And the complexity of it, as you've said, it makes it really hard to pin anyone to the wall, and not necessarily that they deserve to be. There are also consumer preferences to take into account, which in many ways drive the aforementioned e-waste problem. People want the new thing, and they've been conditioned by a lot of companies to want the new thing for google's part i think that your assessment that they're going to keep making the os more modular as relates to the oem involvement that rings true based on everything we've seen with treble and mainline and gki and all these other initiatives that are just designed grf is another one that we've talked about on a episode of the show that will probably be going up shortly and the google requirements freeze that will essentially make it easier For OEMs to be worse about certain kinds of updates, but in service to getting them up to date on newer platform versions and more security patches, ostensibly as well. So you do see Google have to balance that, those considerations against each other, the OEM, their kind of economic situation, and then also the security of the whole platform, which is obviously really important to Google. I think that a great example is Play Services. Google has increasingly used that as the carrot and the stick being not having Play Services because everybody wants them, right? So I think that we'll continue to see them use GMS in that way to advance that interest. And I think it's a credible way to do it. It's also one of the few tools they have in their belt to enforce that sort of thing. Yeah, it's going to be slow, like you said, Gabe. It's going to take time, but I think we're watching the pieces come together. I think this year I would say, Michelle, would you agree that especially with twelve L or excuse me, twelve and thirteen, we've seen Google's plans there become much more clear.
1: Yes, especially with the introduction of GRF, which many developers I've spoken to have basically described it as the Completion of Project Treble. Treble is finally here with GRF. And if you're not familiar with GRF, then as David mentioned, go back and listen to the podcast episode where we talked about that or the blog post that I published on it. But in general, to answer your question, yes, I do believe finally we're going to see the fruits of all of those initiatives coming to fruition. It might take a few years because we have to actually wait to see how quickly OEMs now roll out updates based on these improvements. But I do think it will have a noticeable impact on the frequency and the speed at which Android updates are pushed out to users.
0: All right, thank you for joining us, Gabe. Where can people learn more about Graphene and see what you're working on over there?
2: So we have a highly in-depth documentation at Feature Overview, which you can find at graphless.org. And we are also highly active on our Twitter page. And we also have a very interactive and active community which you can find also on graphenist.org by just hitting the contact button in the top, and you'll be more than welcome there to talk about it and ask any questions you may have.
0: Thanks, Gabe. And actually, um, one of the things you brought up earlier did remind me of, of Esper a little bit, because we do support Verified Boot for our own distro based on Android, because we work with a couple of OEMs, one of them most prominently being Lenovo. So that actually clicked for me. (laughs) So thank you um, for for bringing that up because I wasn't aware of how that was architected and now it makes a lot more sense to me. And that gets to who's powering the show? It's Esper. Michelle and I both work at Esper. You can find our work at blog.esper.io. If you're listening to this episode and you're wondering, okay, like I'm here because I want to understand how Android devices get built, what goes into putting on your own OS distro on an Android device, Come talk to us at Esper. We do this every day. We're building our own custom, we have, excuse me, not building, have built our own custom distro of Android. It works for a variety of devices, including x86 Intel computers, which we're actively flipping in the wild with customers right now. And uh, we can give them security patches too. Yeah, you should get in touch with us. That's esper.io if you wanna book a demo, or if you just wanna see what Michelle and I are up to, that's blog.esper.io or you can find us both on Twitter. Our links are in the show notes below. Thank you for listening everybody and we will catch you next time.